You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 204, Bar Games. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Today is June 26th, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about board games. Right at the top of the show, I'd like to wish my wife, Mrs. Flack, a happy birthday. Today is her birthday. She is attending a Girl Scout meeting right now, which has given me a little bit of time to jump on the mic and record this episode. And speaking of a little bit of time, it takes me a little bit of time to load up each episode's show notes. And so while those are loading, that will give us a little bit of time to chat on this week's Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading time. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Know Flag. It's been a few weeks since I recorded an episode, so I do have a little bit of uh, news and highlights to share with you. And the first is that I bought a new television for my game room. Now, I think a lot of people associate buying new televisions or a new television with an upgrade. You know, you buy a newer one that's larger and has more features than your previous television, but the television I bought was actually much smaller than the television I had. When I bought my Mr. Computer, I needed a television because it has HDMI inputs and you get sound as well as video out of it. So I bought a Roku television from Sam's. My goal was to spend $100 on a television, and so when I went to Sam's Club and I was just looking, I, just, I didn't know I was going to buy one that day, but I was kind of looking at their televisions, and I started looking at the smaller televisions. They went up and up in size, and they had a 32-inch Roku television on sale for $99, so that was my goal. My spending limit was $100 on a television to hook up to the Mr., and so I purchased that, and I've had it in here for a while, but the way that my desk is laid out, the television is literally, I don't know, two feet away from my face. It's very close to where I sit, and the more time I've spent on the Mister playing games and more so reading text, I find it hard to do because the screen is so large and so close to my head. So I've really wanted to downsize that television for a while. And I looked at Sam's Club. Again, there's a Sam's Club right near me. So I know there's a lot of different places you can buy televisions, including online at Amazon and all different places, Best Buy. And we have all those places nearby. But there's a Sam's Club five miles from my house, and it's really convenient. So I checked Sam's Club website, and they had a 24-inch television, which is much smaller than the 32-inch that I paid $100 for. And the 24-inch television was $200. It was twice as much for a smaller TV. And that just didn't make any sense to me. So I went on Craigslist, and I found that exact same model. It's a 24-inch LG something TV. It's not a smart TV. And one thing I liked about it was it has 
It doesn't have multiples of any of the inputs, but it has one HDMI input. It has one composite input, and it has one component input, and it has a coax input. So literally any game system I own, I could connect to this television. So I purchased that off of Craigslist. I paid $20 for it. I brought it home, hooked it up. So I've had my mister disconnected for uh, about a week, just moving things around. But I moved the 32-inch TV on the other wall. I hooked up my original Commodore 64 to it and my Apple II are now hooked up to the 32-inch, which are on the other side of the room. And when I play games, I can scoot back away from the TV on that side. But right here at Command Central, Podcast Central, Main Computer Central, I can rotate to the left and turn on the mister. And the 24-inch TV is much more appropriately sized. So I'm, I'm enjoying that. I got everything hooked back up, and I'm back in the mister business. For what it's worth... I was ordering, my wife's birthday is today, my daughter's birthday is two days from today, so I've been ordering all these things on Amazon, and now Amazon is recommending different things, and one of the things, I just bought some pool, uh, some outdoor LED lights to put around uh, the pool area, and it suggested this strip of LED lights to put on the back of a television, maybe because I was also looking at televisions, so... I did order a strip of LED lights. It was 10 foot long and it was $10, which is just crazy. Uh, I can't believe how cheap that stuff is. And it came with a remote and it works with my the same app that I have with uh, my smart light bulbs. And so I put it on the back of the 32-inch Roku TV and I changed the LED color to be the same blue that's on the Commodore 64 startup screen. So now when the C64 fires up, it looks like it's glowing blue from all the, you know, coming from the rear of the television, emanating its Commodore-ness. Commodore-ness? Is that a word? I guess it, yeah. some things have a Commodore-ness. <laughs> but the TV definitely has it now, so it glows blue, so... Very happy. I'm all settled now in the TV TV land, and I'm glad that I got this other television for only an additional $20. The reason that I haven't recorded an episode in a few weeks is because I went on vacation. My family and I took a road trip. We went to Florida. I believe it's called the 30A area. We went to Seagrove, Florida. It is in the panhandle of Florida. Uh, on the first day out there on the road trip, we drove eight hours from uh, leaving east from Oklahoma City, and we stayed the night in Memphis. By the way, the I-40 bridge going into Memphis is closed indefinitely, apparently, due to repairs. There were cracks in the bridge, so we had to go on a detour that took us through West Memphis, Arkansas, which you may be familiar with if you've heard of the West Memphis 3 trial that was very... Um, um, uh, well known, it was advertised uh, uh, greatly because of uh, some, the injustice that was done by uh, the local police. Just rounded up three kids that were all kind of troubled youth and had run-ins with the law, and they pinned this uh, these murders on them. It was a really terrible case, and uh, the kids spent like twenty years in jail before finally getting out. Um, it's a, it's an interesting story if you're not familiar with the West Memphis three, but, uh, so we had to go through West Memphis. It took, it was about 10 miles, the detour, and it took us over an hour and a half. It's just complete traffic jam. That whole area is a mess. I feel bad for anybody that has to drive back and forth on I-40 around Memphis, mostly if you're going into Memphis, if you're heading east. Um, but we did stay at Memphis. We got to go visit Beale street. We went, ate dinner at a 
a local pub called the Flying Saucer Draft Emporium, which was pretty cool. And we woke up the next morning. We had to valet park. There was no regular self-parking at the hotel. So we had to valet park our cars. And we woke up the next morning and were informed that someone had slashed our tire. And so we had to use AAA. We had to get my car towed to a a Goodyear tire repair shop. We had to spend $300 (laughs) to get a tire. Um, We basically lost... That entire day uh, of our vacation, we ended up spending an an additional eight hours in Memphis waiting for them to fix the tire, uh, which they eventually did. And then we left from there and drove another eight hours until we got to our vacation rental in Florida. So we had planned on spending that afternoon. We we were planning on arriving to Florida around 3 p.m., but we didn't get there until after midnight. But... We had a great time in Florida. We hung out on the beach. We went swimming in the pool. The kids, there was a golf cart, and uh, the kids enjoyed the golf cart. We just had all kinds of great fun. Ate some great local food. Had some Cuban food, which was great. Had some barbecue nachos, which were, I, I never had barbecue pulled pork on the nachos with cheese and jalapenos. It was really good. Uh, so we had a great time in Florida. And then on our way back, we stopped in New Orleans. We went to, now I've been, we went on a family vacation in New Orleans uh, several years ago. We had a great time, but we didn't go really downtown. We went to uh, some cemeteries. We went to um, this place where, like, I think it was called Mardi Gras World, where they make the floats for Mardi Gras. And we had a great time. It was good for us, good for the kids. Uh, This time we actually went to Bourbon Street, and I was amazed. I mean, I don't like talking bad about cities. But uh, and, and I'm not talking bad about New Orleans in general, but I was just shocked at how dirty, uh, um, I mean, it just smelled the whole area of Bourbon Street and how unsafe we felt. And we were just, we, we walked one block of Bourbon Street and I was hit up multiple times by people asking us for money. And, and at one point, we, there was somebody following us and we went into a store just to wait so they would stop following us and... Um, uh, I'm sure there's different times a year and, and different, you know, we, and we were, went like during the day, it was in the afternoon, but, uh, I don't, I don't think I would, especially with younger, I mean, I, my kids aren't young, they're older teens, but I don't know that I would spend a lot of time on Bourbon street with kids. I don't think it's a kid area and I'm not sure how much time I would spend on Bourbon street. And there's a, I know there's a lot of restaurants, a lot of food, things like that, but gosh, I don't know. <laughs> that wasn't for me. But the reason we were down in that area is because there's a place called the Museum of Death, and that was on our visit list. We wanted to hit that. Um, The Museum of Death started in California, but has expanded to the second location in New Orleans. And I won't go – if you want to find out more about it, I did a whole article about it on my blog, which is at robohara.com. You can read about the Museum of Death. But there were artifacts from serial killers. There were – uh, letters written from prison. There were autographed artwork, you know, real things that were there. One of the more interesting things I thought one of the artifacts they had was the, I believe it's called the Thanatron, which is the device, the original device that Dr. Kevorkian built for his assisted suicide. And it was used a few times until apparently he lost his doctor's license and couldn't get the uh, chemicals required for that version. So he built a newer version that used. Uh, carbon dioxide, but uh, it's very strange to be, you know, so close to an item like that, that you know how it was used, what it was used for, and be 
um, you know, right there in its presence. So there were definitely some things. There were some a lot of skeletons, animal and and a few human skeletons. So it was an interesting stop and a good place to stop and and uh, stretch our legs. We stayed just outside of New Orleans for the night, so we had a good time there at the museum. And then we came home, and when we got home, we found that our pool had been finished. The construction is finally finished on the swimming pool that we had put into the backyard. And when we moved to this house, we bought a house that had enough space in the backyard where I could build my workshop that I've always wanted and my wife could have a pool. And so we got a uh, a 16 by 32 foot pool. It's a big rectangle and it's a little over nine foot deep on the deep end. And the shallow end is about... I think about three, three and a half foot deep, something like that. But uh, uh, the pool is all done. And so literally we have swam every day since we got home from vacation, sometimes twice a day. Everybody's loving the pool. The pool is very new and exciting right now. So everybody's uh, using the pool. And it's a salt pool. It's not chlorine, which means that you don't put in chlorine tablets and and control the chemicals that way. You just pour bags of salt so it's it's a new experience. We we owned a above ground pool and it was a long time ago and it was really janky. <laughs> we inherited it. We bought a house and it was already there and it was not great to begin with and we didn't know anything about how to take care of it. But this is all brand new and and we had to go through pool school. A guy came out and showed us how to use all the equipment and uh, we uh, so we're enjoying it a lot right now and so far it's been very low maintenance but. We've only owned it for two weeks, so <laughs> we will see if the low maintenance, how long that continues. Uh, and I'm interested to see how much my water bill is going to be this month after filling up. Uh, the estimate was 18,000 gallons of water into a giant hole in my backyard. So we'll see. We'll see in the long term how much this ends up costing me. But for right now, everybody's enjoying the pool. Uh, on this episode of You Don't Know Flack, I have a, a Patreon question from one of my 16-bit supporters on Patreon. This episode's question comes from Steve Sharippa, longtime supporter and listener of the show. And Steve writes, when he was a kid, he had some crazy thoughts about the world. He asked his dad what happened that caused the world to go from black and white to color because he observed old movies were in black and white. When he was learning to ride a bicycle, he asked his mom if she had to balance the car because he noticed that she was slightly moving the wheel left and right. And so Steve asked, do I have any notable crazy thoughts about how the world worked when I was younger? Well, I mean, that's a great question because kids always have, I'll tell you the most interesting thing, uh, not so much with my kids because my kids are just a little bit too old, but I have seen a lot of younger kids, uh, and I've actually done this once or twice, Is but I'll see this. It's real common, I guess, in younger children when they're looking through a magazine or a book, and then they will try to pinch or expand a picture by using their fingers because they're so used to doing that on tablets or smartphones and adjusting photos and they'll do it to paper. And I'll admit once or twice I have done that where I'm reading a magazine or a, a newspaper. We get, we get like a weekly paper and I'll, you know, I have taken a picture and, and moved it with my finger for a second and then just rolled my eyes. Like, what do you do? <laughs> um, but um, so I tried to think of 
things that I really thought of as a kid. Now, one of these I don't really know that it applies, but I, we'll talk about it anyway. But um, I do remember this one time. This is not really a belief in the in the uh, way that the world worked, maybe, but. I remember that I we went to a family reunion, and I was pretty small. I was probably like six or seven years old, something like that. And there was someone, I don't know who this guy was. I honestly don't remember. I, I might be like a second uncle, something like that, or a second cousin. I mean, he was older, much older than me, like my parents' age, it seemed like. And he was making fun of me for some reason. I don't, re- I don't even remember the circumstances. I'm sure now, thinking back, I'm sure it was harmless teasing, but for whatever reason, he was giving me a hard time and I decided I was going to kill him, (laughs) which is a a normal train of thought for a seven-year-old. And so this took place like at a a farm kind of area, you know, it was out kind of outside the city a little bit. And I went, I saw his truck. He had this big truck and there was gravel nearby. And so I picked up like handfuls of gravel and I went to his car and I sprinkled the gravel on top of his tires. (laughs) And my plan was that when he left, he would spin out of control (laughs) and lose control and like get killed. I guess, I mean, it must've been an evil child to think that I was going to um, kill this man because he had made fun of what I was wearing or something, you know, I'm sure he was probably calling me a nerd. I was probably like, Hey, where's the Atari or something like that, you know? So uh, that, I don't know why, why for some reason, I I mean, we had driven on gravel and, and dirt to get to this place. So I don't know why I thought that would some, for some reason, spin someone's car out of control. But I do uh, remember, I mean, with all the hate that a seven-year-old can muster, that that was my plan was to end this man's life by putting gravel on his tires. It's kind of dark. I do have a, a memory with the Commodore 64. When you load programs into like machine language programs and it puts it in memory, uh, you can launch these programs by typing SYS space and then the memory area. So I remember like I would get these songs. They weren't Sid songs, but they were very similar uh, to they sounded like Sid songs. If you're familiar with those, just, um, you know, just three minute long, whatever songs that were made with three voices. But they loaded into this area of memory called three. uh, It was 30120. And so we just called them 30120 songs. I didn't know what else to call them. We didn't call them Sid songs or music songs. We just called them 30120 songs. And I remember loading those, and my only experience with loading things was loading basic programs. So if you loaded a game that was in basic, even a, a text adventure or, or something very you know basic, no, no pun intended, and you loaded that and then typed list, you would get the listing, and you could look at all the lines and stuff. And so I remember loading these songs, these 30120 songs, and if you type list, there would be nothing. It would just say ready. It was, there was like, there was nothing. I mean, to the, as far as your eye could see, there was nothing loaded in. Now, of course, in reality, it had loaded the song into, uh, you know, a different area of memory, which you could then execute by typing SYS 30120. And so for some reason, I thought that those songs were already in the computer. Like they were somehow, they were embedded in there. 
And the thing that you were loading was somehow just moving things around so that you could access them. But I I don't know why I thought I didn't get that um, just because I couldn't see the listing didn't mean that I had loaded a program into memory. But I just remember thinking that somehow those music files were stored in the computer, like in ROM somewhere. And I remember typing SYS 30121 and 30122 and 30123 and just going through random uh, parts of memory to see if I could find other songs or programs that had been stored in the computer. Of course, that's not how the computer worked, but uh, it was just a a strange, strange, um, I, I hadn't really put that together that you could load a program and yet not see the listing. And finally, and this is the one that I don't know if it really fits Steve's question or not, but uh, ever since I was a little kid, like first, second grade, uh, you know, I, I was immediately like put into um, uh, gifted class and different things like that. And, and they were always finding different things for me to do just because uh, I would get my work done really fast. And so they would give me other projects and, you know, busy work and stuff. And, um, one of the things that I thought about was teachers would always say, uh, you could be anything you want to be. Like, I remember a lot of different teachers telling me that. And I didn't really understand what that meant. Like, I thought maybe like when you got out of high school that then you had to pick immediately what you were going to be, you know, and, and I just didn't really grasp that whole concept. Like, first of all, I thought that there were equal amounts of every job. Like, you know, if there were a million guys that made pizza, there were also a million astronauts. <laughs> then there were a million guys that uh, were truck drivers. And there were a million people who, you know, cleaned swimming pools. Like, I just, I, I thought it was just an equal distribution. And I don't think that I understand that people made different amounts of money. At the time, you know, so, um, so there, I just had this concept, like, I remember really being stressed out as a a younger child about, you know, worrying about what I was going to be when I grew up. And of course, I mean, are any of us what we thought we were going to (laughs) be when we were in grade school? Like, I mean, some people do, you know, um, uh, but like, I don't remember thinking, oh, I want to work for the government and work on computers. You know, I mean, I do like my job, but it certainly wasn't what I thought I was going to be doing when I was a kid, you know? Uh, and so anyway, I don't know. I, it, it was just this whole system. I didn't really understand, um, you know, that eventually you would pick a career and, and then, you know, either you would, uh, you know, become an apprentice in that or learn about it or go to college or whatever, you know, your particular profession, um, requires and get a license or, you know, whatever it takes. But yeah, I don't think that I just really grasped that. It was very confusing to me. Like when people would say you could be anything you wanted to be, um, I thought, well, oh, I must have something that other people <laughs> like, like other people. Well, sorry, you're going to have to be a sheep herder. <laughs> you don't get a choice, but you, you get to be anything you wanted to be. So I don't know. There was some confusion about that, uh, to me as a child. So anyway, I wanted to say thank you, uh, to, uh, Mr. Shripa for sending in the question. I love, sometimes I don't do great jobs at answering them, but I love reading them and, and thinking through them. And, and I did spend some time on this one. So, uh, if you want to find out more about supporting the shows and my 8-bit and 16-bit supporters and all the rewards you get – 
go over to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. All my patrons get behind the scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigo Retro Gaming Discord server as well. Uh, there are other perks, and uh, if you don't want to sign up for Patreon, but you want to support the show, don't forget the easiest way and the best way to do that is to share links to the show on social media. You can also like and review on iTunes, although I don't think that's ever actually helped me do anything, but maybe it helps me in some way that I don't know. <laughs> If you have any feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at robohair at robohair.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with us over at the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave me a message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. Also, don't forget that all Patreon supporters get access to the Discord server. I just mentioned that one. I have that in here twice. Uh, but there are multiple podcast communities on their server, uh, including the Amigos, ARG Presents, Pixel Guide In, and the TeamSpeak Irregulars, among others. And looks like uh, notes have been loaded for a few minutes now. So let's hop right in and talk about this episode's topic, which is board games. The house I grew up in had a very unique shape. And that is because the living room was shaped like an octagon. So the living room had eight walls which meant that the rooms that connected or surrounded that room were also uniquely shaped. My bedroom, the room that I grew up in, had five walls. <laughs> it was uh, like a large square with one of the, the corners cut off that was at a 45-degree angle. On the opposite side of the living room was a hallway that <laughs> had multiple turns and it had three closets. So at the end was a regular closet. That was a linen closet. And in one corner, there was a triangular closet, which we used for the vacuum cleaner. But there was a third closet that was a normal square closet. And we called that the board game closet. And there were little shelves in there. And that's where all of our board games sat when I was a kid. We got an Atari... In 1979, I believe it was the, we got a, a Odyssey two first. So we had an Odyssey two for a brief period of time. And then we got the Atari, but we also had board games and I associated board games as a child, as an activity for the whole family. Whereas the Atari was really something that just, I did or my sister and I did, but we didn't spend a lot of time playing Atari with my parents. Now, my dad worked a shift. He worked for a long time when I was a kid. He worked 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. He got home um, about a little after 1130. And so during the week, uh, I didn't see him very often because he had gone to work um, before I got home from school. But I do remember playing a lot of board games with my sister and my mom. We would, we would uh, in the evening, sometimes we would pull out these different board games. Now, uh, I, I made a list of board games, and there were a lot of board games that I have memories of. Uh, but I started off with a list, and I've 
I had to whittle the list down somehow. And so uh, I've removed card games from the list. So we definitely played Uno. I played Solitaire. Um, my sister and I used to play Go Fish and Old Maid. But uh, so I'm not going to talk about those. And I've also removed any electronic handheld games. I had Simon. I had electronic football. I may mention one or two things along the way. Uh, but for the most part, I've taken those out of the list too. I also, for the most part, tried to remove any games that I didn't actually play. Um, you know, I, I think, well, there's one or two that I may mention um, that uh, uh, I played and didn't own or but anything that was just like, oh, I remember this, but I had no connection to, I didn't really leave those in the list because there were so many as it were. So uh, we will basically what's left are all the games that I either owned or or played as a kid. So that's where we will be starting. And where we're starting, the very first board game that I can remember playing was a game called Candyland, which is a game that they still make. They've updated the pictures and the the graphics that appear on the board, but essentially the game is the same. And the way that you play Candyland is that you draw cards to move. And so the Candyland board, as it goes around the playing field, is all different uh, square colors. Uh, there's red, blue, yellow, green, whatever. And so you pull cards, and uh, whatever color card you pull you move to that, you advance to that color. So you don't have to roll a die or anything like that. It's all about, it's all color-based. So very young children um, can play it. But also there are multiple places that you can visit on the board, different candy houses that are owned by different people or something. And you might win, uh, if you draw a card that has one of those places on it, you could advance all the way up to that. Now there's two ways to play. Um, one is that you only go forward. The other one is that you go forward or go back. If you draw a card that's of, uh, I don't know, there was something like melting ice cream lake or something like that. If you drew that card and it was all the way back near the beginning, you would go all the way back. And so one of my earliest memories of Candyland is cheating <laughs> at the game. And I remember uh, counting down like we would always let my sister go first because she was the youngest. And then when it would go her, me, and then my mom. So I would go down, you know, count out how many spots and I would put the card in that would jump you all the way near the end. And I think my mom caught on pretty quick. I think one time after I, uh, that happened twice, I think right before we played, she took the cards and shuffled them up real good, which uh, ruined my, my strategy. But uh, we definitely played a lot of Candyland. Uh, my sister's three years younger than I was. And so by the time we moved to the new house, uh, the house I grew up in, I was, I was five. I turned five right after we moved in there. My sister would have been two. Um, so, but within a, you know, a year or two, she was old enough to play along and, and draw the, uh, draw the cards and move. So that is the first board game that I ever, that I have any memory of playing is candy lamb. So that board game closet had a lot of board games in it. And so this first section that I'm going to talk about are all games that lived in our board game closet. And the first two are very similar. One is called Sorry. The other is called Trouble. Now, it's two different board games. 
but they have the same basic play mechanic, which is you start in some sort of home area. You have to, um, I believe Trouble had a, a bubble thing in the middle that you bounced it and you pressed it and it popped up and that's what uh, rolled the die for you. Sorry, just had a regular die, I think, that you rolled. Um, but the goal is to get all your people out of your home base, get them all the way around the board and then up into your home base. So once you've moved all your, your player pieces around, if once you get all your pieces around the board one time, you win. Um, but the mechanic that they both have is that they both have ways that if you land on other people, then you knock them out of the game or you send their piece back to the home. Uh, and so we played a lot of this. I remember getting very mad and frustrated <laughs> when playing these games. Trouble had a great commercial. I'll I'll check on YouTube and see if it's there. But it had a little jingle and it would go, Trouble, Trouble, I'll give you trouble. <laughs> and so we would say that every time you would hit someone else's piece and knock that back. Uh, but we played we played Sorry and Trouble quite a bit. We also played the Game of Life, which was... Uh, a board game that had a spinner wheel that always reminded me of the wheel from Wheel of Fortune. And you would spin this wheel, and your pieces that you moved around were cars. And you would put a person in the car, and you would go all through life. You would eventually get married and have children and um, do different things. And I don't really have a strong memory of the mechanics of playing the game of life, but more than what I remember are those little cars and the little stick people that you stuck in the cars and drove them around. And that was much more interesting to me as a kid was there was a hill that the road went over in the cars and just making little noises, you know, when the cars would move around. Uh, but we did play life uh, quite a bit. We also played Clue. Now, I know I got dogged a little bit on uh, throwback reviews one time because I said that I didn't really care for the movie Clue. I did not see it when it originally came out, um, but there were several other movies like that, like uh, Murder by Death, I think, was one of them, and The Private Eyes is a similar type of movie. And I love those movies, but I saw them when I was a kid, and I did not see Clue uh, when I was a kid. But I did play the game Clue, and I certainly remember all the things that you had to do. I mean, you basically you had a person... You had a different rooms in this mansion, and then you had the weapon that was used for the, the murder. And so those three cards were put in an envelope, and you had to go around and figure out, you know, by a process of elimination, figure out which character eventually committed the crime, what did they use to commit the crime, and what room of the mansion. You know, so you would pull it out and say, Colonel Mustard killed him in the kitchen with the candlestick or whatever, you know. And uh, so I remember playing that a lot uh, you know, my sister and I would play that and I got a feeling we didn't always play it right by the rules, but sometimes, you know, you would, you would, for a lot of these board games, you would adopt family rules. You would come up with ways where you'd say, okay, well, we'll only do it this way. And so I got a feeling we may have uh, changed the rules a little bit for clue, but we, we, we did play that quite a bit. Then there were, um, you know, and, and this is still under the category, my category of family games were, Word-type games. Uh, well, actually, the first one's not. The first one's Yahtzee. We had Yahtzee, and we played Yahtzee, but not very much. And Yahtzee is, of course, a game where you throw multiple die, and then you can pick up die and re-roll them. Um, 
And you're trying to mark different things off like, you know, three of a kind, four of a kind, whatever. But the thing about Yahtzee is mostly it's a game of chance. And my family was not big on games of chance. And my family, uh, you know, I don't want to say thinking, but, uh, you know, things were like you had to come up with answers. Um, you know, the, the next game I'm going to talk about is Boggle. And so we played a lot more of Boggle because you were rewarded the more words you could come up with. And Yahtzee was a little bit too much just like random chance. And so I think um, for me and, you know, my parents were this way and I think this I inherited this. But we played a lot more games where uh, you were rewarded for your, you know, your style of gameplay or the, the solutions that you came up with and not just sheer luck. So we didn't play too much Yahtzee. I, I remember playing it a little bit, but Boggle we played a lot, which was that it was a little board thing, and, and it had all different die in there that had letters, and then you had to make words and spell them out. Uh, so we played a lot of that, and of course we played a lot of Scrabble. And uh, in our uh, in our house, when you played Scrabble, if you made a word, somebody could challenge you, and if they didn't think that was a word, you'd have to look it up in the dictionary. And I feel like. If you did a, a incorrect challenge, you lost a turn, or I mean, there was some punishment or something. But, um, but we did uh, back in the day before you know computers or cell phones. Um, you know, there, there we did have a dictionary, and we would look up words to just see if it was a real word. The last game <clears throat> that was in our board cl- or in our uh, board game closet was Trivial Pursuit. Now, I uh, mentioned this on a. Uh, uh, the um, uh, Growing Up 80s podcast, Darren and Robin's uh, podcast about the 80s, Growing Up 80s in Canada, uh, they talked a little bit about Trivial Pursuit. And so I sent them a brief story, which I will repeat here. Uh, but my my parents were pretty competitive, and they were both really good at trivia. And I don't know, if you've ever played Trivial Pursuit, I mean, who, who's not familiar with Trivial Pursuit at this point? Uh, maybe if you're younger, you haven't played it, but uh, you had a game piece that had you know slices for six different uh, little pieces. We called them pie pieces, and each one was a different color that corresponded with a specific category. And if you were of a certain age, I think the questions were pretty easy, and if you weren't, they were really, really hard, especially the sports questions. I mean, if you're getting random sports questions that were – from things that happened, you know, 10 or 20 years before you were born, it was impossible. You know, it would say, who was the, you know, the guy that was known as the somebody, somebody in the hockey league in the seventies. And I would just be like, got me, you know, I mean, it was, it was really hard to play. And, um, uh, the questions, the difficulty of the questions Now you could say this about any trivia game. Uh, I've heard people say this before that, if you know the answer to a trivia question, it's easy. <laughs> and if you don't know the answer, it's hard, which I guess is true. But it did seem like that my mom got a lot easier trivia questions than my dad got. And I remember, and so this was the story I sent into growing up 80s. Uh, but at one point, my dad just lost his cool during the middle of a game, and he got really mad. And he said, I don't want to play with you anymore. He was talking to my mom. He said, I don't want to play with you anymore because – you get questions like, what was the name of the giant ship that hit an iceberg and sunk? And I get questions like, name all the passengers. <laughs> he was he was not being funny. He was really mad at the time. Um, so I do remember one time we were playing as a family. And I'm not sure that this is the exact question, but it was something similar to this. 
And I was reading the question to my dad, and it was something about a book or a movie, and it might have been, I think it might have been, something in reference to Valley of the Damned or Children of the Damned, but I didn't want to cuss. I was a kid. I didn't want to cuss in front of my parents, and so I think I said Valley of the Danged, and they were like, what is that? And nobody got the answer right, Uh, and then... Then finally, my mom was like, let me see that question, you know, and she saw it. And then my dad got mad that he missed the question because I had said Valley of the Danged instead of Valley of the Damned. And so I I remember like leaving the room. I was really mad because they were mad at me and I was embarrassed. And so I left, (laughs) walked away. I left all the trivia pie pieces on the table behind me. Um, I will say that... um, there's a couple of restaurants. There's two restaurants that I've been to. There's one that's uh, near me that I really enjoy. And there was one that we went to that was out of state that had coffee mugs sitting on the table. These are like breakfast diners that had Trivial Pursuit cards in the coffee mugs. And so as you were waiting for your food to come or, or just sitting there, you could pick up trivia question cards and read trivia questions at the table. And I really like that. I think that's such a neat idea. And I think it's such a great idea that on a couple of road trips, we went years ago, five years ago, six, seven years ago, we drove all the way up to Wisconsin. That was where we stayed in the uh, UFO house. And while we were up there, we stopped at a thrift store and I found a old copy of trivia. It might not have been the original trivial pursuit. It might've been some off brand or or something else, Uh, but it was a dollar. And so I bought it. And the minute we got to the cabin, I threw away the board. (laughs) I threw away all the pieces. I mean, I didn't want any of that and kept the cards. And so during the drive home, we used those cards and we asked each other trivia questions in the car, in the car. We had a great time. So I have done that on occasion. Just pick up the boxes uh, in thrift stores. A lot of times you could find these trivia games for a dollar or two. And it doesn't matter if all the pieces are there because you just want the trivia questions. I do remember different editions of Trivial Pursuit. There was an 80s edition, which was much more up my alley. There was a uh, I think that now there's a millennial edition. There's a lot of different ones. There's a, a, you know, some that are more geared towards history or science. And that makes it a little bit more fun. If uh, you can find questions that are more in you and your friends wheelhouses. I don't know how many people still play the um, actual board version of trivial pursuit, but those are the games that I remember being in our family game closet that we had in our house. The next category I came up with was kid games. And these were games that I had as a kid, my friends had, um, and that I remember playing a lot. I think these are all geared towards children. And the first is Jaws, which isn't really a board game, so to speak, but it was a game that the playing field was a giant plastic shark. And you would prop open his mouth and there was rubber bands that would make the mouth shut closed. Uh, and you put, there were all these little plastic pieces and then you had a long, I don't remember if it was a long hook or a fishing pole, something like that. And you would pull the pieces out. So there would be a, um, <clears throat> you know, a spare tire <laughs> was in there. I think there was a license plate that was in there. There was an anchor. I remember being in there and eventually 
either if the weight shifted or you jostled it or touched something, the uh, shark would snap its mouth closed and you would lose and you would lose the game of Jaws. And I had this. I remember playing this a lot. I, I really enjoyed uh, Jaws. It's kind of a, a strange uh, thing. I do remember sticking my finger in there to see if it would hurt when it snapped closed and it did not hurt. I also had this game called Beware the Spider. And Beware the Spider used the same technology that Operation used. I also have Operation next on my list. Um, but, well, we'll talk about Operation for a second. Operation, I'm sure you are aware of. There are a million different versions of Operation today. I have saw a Simpsons version where you, you operate on Homer Simpson. I think there's a Shrek version we had for our kids. But the original Operation has an outline of a man and... Uh, there are little plastic pieces that you have to get out with metal tweezers and the edges of the holes that are sunken in that hold those pieces have metal on them. And the whole thing is an electrical circuit. So when you touch them with the metal tweezers, it connects the ground, it sets off the guy's nose and your uh, turn is over. So you only get to keep going once you uh, extract, you know, the funny bone or whatever, the different pieces of the guy are so Beware the Spider was a similar type game. It was a big orange molded thing that looked like a layer, kind of a cave thing. And the whole top was covered in foil and it would look like giant spider webs. And on one end was a little motor and underneath the motor or well, on top of where the motor sat was a foam spider and then on the metal playing field were lots of little, there were plastic bats and uh, scorpions and all these things. And they sat just a fraction above the metal foil with these little tiny legs that stood up. And so you had a little, you know, metal fork and you had to scoop these things off the spider web. And if you touched the foil, it, you know, completed the circuit, which fired off that motor and shot that spider at your face. <laughs> And uh, that was Beware of the Spider. Now, I was at a thrift store um, maybe five five or six years ago, and I found a copy of Beware the Spider. Now, this one doesn't work, so there's probably something that has died with the wiring. Uh, either that or the metal itself has lost its uh, conductivity, that foil that's on there. Maybe it's it's gotten so old that something doesn't work. But uh, uh, I put new batteries in it, and it does not uh, fire off. Also, the spider, which was originally foam, was just tiny little bits. So you could put something in there, I suppose, or maybe cut out a new spider out of a sponge. But um, I played that a lot as a kid. Uh, and along those lines of games that would do something to scare you was Perfection. I had a copy of Perfection. Perfection was that game where it was, you push the board down and you set a timer for one minute and there were all different kinds of pieces that fit into all different kinds. So there were circle pieces, half circles, stars, triangles, and each piece only had one spot that it would fit into. And you had to get all the pieces in before the timer got down to zero. And if you didn't, the timer got to zero, the spring was released and it would shoot all those pieces up uh, right at you out of the board. And um, we would, we would play it by setting the, the timer and then covering the timer. So you didn't know how much time you had left. <laughs> it 
we were kind of sadistic kids, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, we definitely played some perfection. Uh, Stay Alive is a game that we had. I don't remember playing this a lot, but I definitely remember we owned it. And Stay Alive was a square board that had marbles on top of it. And you would pull these different pieces left and right and up and down. And uh, each one had holes. So there were pieces that went up and down and pieces that went left and right. And eventually they had different holes. So if it lined up where there was a hole under both pieces, the marble would drop down in and you would lose the marble. And so the point of the game was to eventually get rid of the other person's marbles uh, while you still had marbles. And, and that was a, a fun game. Uh, and it was, it sounds like it would be easy to remember where the, the holes were, but uh, I don't remember that being the case. We had Hungry Hungry Hippos, speaking of marbles, which was a game uh, where you would pour marbles in. I'm sure you've seen Hungry Hungry Hippos, uh, and there's a little plastic tab, and you would have your your hippo try to eat the marbles, and whoever ate the most marbles won. I was never a huge fan of this. I think this might have been my sister's, but it was another game we didn't play a lot because it just seemed it was more random-based than skill-based. There's not a lot of skill in, in whoever eats the most marbles. It's just flicking that thing over and over and then counting them up. Uh, at the end, I put Mousetrap on the list. But Mousetrap is a game that I never owned, but I played it a lot because we had it at school. And if we had a recess where you couldn't go outside for some reason, we got to stay in the classroom and play board games. And so Mousetrap, this is probably second or third grade, was one of the games that we had. And of course, Mousetrap is a kind of a big um, Rube Goldberg type of thing where you create, uh, you add pieces and pieces, and then eventually you build this giant mousetrap on the board game. I was always frustrated that it was not uh, very easy to create your own types of mousetrap. It kind of only went together one way, and my brain always wanted to take it apart and um, uh, put it together different ways, but it wasn't really designed to do that. But So I played a lot of mousetrap, but it was mostly with classmates. Let's see. The last two on my list for kid games. The first was Guess Who, which we had as a kid, but it was a different version than the one that my kids had. But Guess Who was um, almost like Go Fish. And so there were uh, these rows and rows of different characters. And some were men and some were women. And some were old and some were young. And some had hats and some had glasses. And so you would ask the other person um, questions to narrow down, like, uh, so each each side of the board has their own cards, and you would pick a person, and then you would say, "Does your person have glasses?" And you would go, "No." And then you would close down all the all those, and then you would say, "Does your person have a hat?" And you would go, "No." And then you would close those down, and eventually you could narrow it down and figure out what person uh, that they had picked. And uh, we definitely played that quite a bit. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of depth to that game, but I know that we played that for hours on end for some reason. Uh, and finally, the last one I put on here was Escape from Death Star, which was a board game uh, that was Star Wars, and you could play one of four characters. I think it could be Han Solo, Chewbacca, I think Luke, and Obi-Wan maybe. And you had these little stand-up, these little cardboard stand-up characters, which I thought was really cool. And you had to get out of the trash compactor and then eventually escape from the Death Star. It wasn't a very um, exciting game, but it was great because it was Star Wars. And so that's why I liked playing it so much. And um, 
in the uh, late 90s, I believe, when they were re-releasing all the uh, Power of the Force Star Wars action figures and different things, they re-released Escape from Death Star, and the board game was unchanged. The board game was the same as it had appeared 20 years ago. But the re-release of Escape from Death Star came with a Grand Moff Tarkin action figure, which had never been made in the original line of vintage action figures. So I repurchased Escape from Death Star. I don't think anybody ever played it with me when I bought it again in the 90s, uh, but I did finally get that Grand Moff Tarkin action figure um, and then didn't open it <laughs> because that would ruin the value. <laughs> um, but uh, So those are all the kid type games, the games that I associate with being a little kid. The next category I came up with was strategy games. And we played quite a few strategy games uh, as as a child. I did. Um, Again, a game that I don't think that we owned uh, in my family, but I do know that we had at school another game that we played during those recesses where we couldn't go outside was Battleship. And Battleship was that game where you would... uh, you know, he had a divider, and each person on, on uh, each side of the game would line up their ships, and then you would sit there and say, A4, A5, miss, hit, and you would mark your little spots, and eventually you would hit all the other person's uh, ships. And, of course, the, a lot of these games had famous commercials, and, you know, in the commercial, he, the kid slaps his head and says, You sank my battleship, and so you had to, of course, you had to say that like 900 times every game, even if they didn't sink your battleship. Or you'd say, you didn't sink my battleship. Uh, so we played a lot of battleship. Um, another game that we had at school, but we also had at home, was Mastermind. And this was a really fun game. I got this a few years ago and played it with my kids, and we really enjoyed doing it. And Mastermind is that game where uh, you one person picks four different colored beads um, and you can put them in any order, but you hide it from the other person. And then the uh, guesser starts picking out beads and putting them in uh, order. And then you basically tell that person through these little pegs how many colors they got right that are not in the right position and how many colors they got right that are in the right position. So, if, for example, if you put black, white, red, green, and then they put yellow, blue, red, green, you would put down two little black pegs. They don't know which ones they got right, but they know that two of those are the right colors that are in the right position. If you put down black, white, red, green, and they put down white, black, red, uh, yellow, blue, then you would put down two white ones because they got black and white, but they're in the wrong order. And so they, it was a very logical game where you had to go through and use a lot of logic and, and put colors in different orders and figure out, um, you know, what you had changed. And I think you got, I don't remember if it was 10 or 12 guesses until you got to the very end. And so you had to come up with the, um, Right. Of course, there was always somebody that would put four green ones or something. And, and, uh, <laughs> my kids would do that all the time. And, and, uh, eh, eventually you'd catch on to what they were doing. But, uh, you, you know, you had to, you had to definitely think outside the box sometimes and, and figure out all the logic of uh, what the other person was doing. But I really enjoyed Mastermind. I'm sure there's computer versions of that in a lot of these games. Um, I know there are computer versions of a lot of these games. Um, Next up is Checkers, which I don't think we played a lot as a kid in my house, but I know we played a lot 
at school, again, on recess, we would play checkers. Um, and the reason we didn't play a lot of checkers is because we played a lot of chess. Both of my parents played chess. My dad's really, really good at chess. Uh, and then I was okay at chess. And so my dad would uh, beat me at chess, and then I would beat my sister at chess. That was kind of how it worked. Now, my first chess board that I had... Uh, instead of plastic stand-up pieces, had little cardboard tiles for the pieces. And on each piece, it showed how the piece moved. So that was how I learned how to play chess. Like the rook would say, can move, I mean, on the actual piece, it would say, can move in a straight line as many squares as they want. You know, or pawn, it would say, can move two squares on opening, one square, and then capture diagonal, you know, that sort of thing like that. So uh, it, it was a good a chess set for little kids. And then it did come with the plastic pieces. So eventually I moved to the plastic pieces. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we definitely played a lot of chess. Later on, I got a lot of different chess sets. I got a Star Wars chess set. I got a Simpsons chess set, which I really uh, enjoyed and then I had a lot of computer versions. We had chess for the Atari twenty six hundred, and then when we got the Apple, I believe the Apple two had Sargon, uh, so we played Sargon and then uh, Chess Master, and then later on, of course, uh, we had Battle Chess and, and other things like that. But um, but yeah, I, I played chess for a long time. I'm not good at chess. Um, I, I don't know any of the the strategies, so. Um, like a lot of things, I can beat people that have never played <laughs> or that aren't good, but it's not because I, I know what's, uh, I don't know, have any um, tricks or skills or anything. Uh, but once people go, oh, I've read a book or two, then I don't play them <laughs> because they're going to beat me. <laughs> um, we also played uh, Chinese checkers. I don't know if uh, you've ever seen that, but it, it came in a big round metal tin and it was full of marbles and it had all these indentations and it was like checkers except for there were I think six sides instead of uh you know two sides and so you you kind of moved diagonally uh you moved your marbles around and stuff but the the mechanics work similar to checkers it's just that more than two people can play you can play up to six people and we had a copy of uh, chinese checkers although mostly i remember holding that round metal tin with the lid on and just wiggling it around in a circle and getting all the marbles to spin around using centrifugal force um we i think i did that as much as uh, as we actually played chinese checkers uh stratego Stratego was a big game in my house. Stratego was this um, a military-type game, and you set up all your pieces. And uh, I don't remember the numbers, but every piece had a number. And um, uh, so, But you couldn't see your opponent's pieces. And then there were bombs that were other pieces. And you were trying to capture... One of the pieces was a flag. That was the game. The goal of the game was to capture your opponent's flag. And so you would move these pieces, your Stratego pieces around, and eventually you would engage them. Like you would touch, you know, move onto a space that your opponent had a piece on. And then you would both reveal your piece and whoever had the, I forget if it's the higher number or the lower number. Um, but who, you know, always, you know, like if it's the lowest number, let's say, um, then whoever has the lowest one wins. But now you know what that piece is if you're your opponent, you know. And of course, if you move into a bomb, uh, then your piece would just blow up. So, 
Uh, that game was a lot of fun. There were a lot of different strategies of hiding where your flag was going to be and where you're going to set up all your bombs and doing things like that. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And, you know, later on, I wrote a uh, like a paper and pencil set of rules to change Stratego. And, and my friends and I played it a few times. And it was more of a role-playing game where different pieces had hit points and things, and some pieces could move in different directions. So we had really kind of made it a, an advanced version of Stratego, but uh, those rules are are long lost to history. I don't know what ever happened to those, but, uh, but we enjoyed that. Uh, we also played Risk. Now, we didn't play a lot of Risk in my house, but I had a a group of friends that I would sometimes, uh, instead of going out to recess, this was like seventh and eighth grade, we would go back to one of the rooms and we would play games. Um, and Risk was one of the games we played. I'll talk about some of the other games. Uh, but Risk was a big one. And I played with uh, a couple of guys, a guy named Stoney, another guy named Jim. Uh, and then there were a couple other guys, Tim and Brian. Uh, three of those guys went on to have careers in the military. Uh, so it's not a surprise that I always lost playing risk to these guys because it turns out they were really good at risk. Um, and they were really good at strategy and, uh, had all the skill set that, uh, made them very successful in the real military. And, uh, I did not have those things. So I was, um, uh, the country that was usually out, uh, first in the game. You know, I didn't have this written down, but I do have one other memory of risk. Uh, a friend of mine, Jason and, uh, his friend, Jeremy, or our, our friend, both of us were friends with Jeremy and another kid named Paul, uh, Jason for his birthday party had a slumber party one year. And I believe this was sixth grade. That would make sense. And they had a pop-up camper, and they had set it up in the front yard, I mean, in the driveway. And so we all spent the night, but we slept outside in this camper. And we started playing Risk out there. And I don't know what time this game started, like 9 or 10 o'clock at night. But it went until the sun came up. And Paul was the first person out and uh, I'm sure I was the second person out. And Jeremy and Jason kept playing and playing for hours as we just sat there doing nothing. And around, I don't know, five or six in the morning when the sun was coming up, uh, Paul went over and just smacked the board <laughs> and sent the pieces flying and uh, ran out of the camper. And I believe they were chasing him. He ran all the way home. Uh, but that's how that game of Risk ended. And I don't remember ever playing Risk with those guys ever again. Uh, that was the end of that. So Risk, uh, a lot of these games, uh, we'll talk about Monopoly. Uh, you know what? We'll, we'll just talk about Monopoly next. But the thing that Risk and Monopoly had in common was that they were too long for me. Like, I don't have that three or four hour uh, time span, uh, just my attention span for games that last that long. So I, I never liked playing Monopoly. My family, fortunately, was not a big Monopoly family. Now, my wife's family, they love Monopoly. Occasionally, they still play Monopoly. I don't want any part of that. I'm not interested. Um, it just takes too long. And the problem with Monopoly is once things start going bad, there's no recovering. Like once you 
don't have the right properties and you haven't built the right hotels and motels and whatever, um, you're never going to recover. It's just this slow drain that takes an hour or two hours for you to die or, you know, to lose or whatever. I guess you don't die technically a monopoly. Um, now we did have, um, I did get a star Wars monopoly that I had one time. I don't think I ever opened it because I hate monopoly. Uh, and then my wife one time, you know, we live in a town called Yukon, Oklahoma, and my wife for a fundraiser put together Yukonopoly. And it was one of those, a fundraiser where you went to different local businesses and they donated money to have their stores and restaurants listed on the Yukonopoly board game. And then we sold uh, the games. She had them printed up through some company and com is one of the squares. <laughs> I don't remember if I paid for it. I might've got a free square for helping uh, arrange everything and um, you know, all the, the pictures and the, getting everything organized. But uh, I do know that uh, Yukonopoly is uh, uh, out there. Every now and then we will run across one at a garage sale or a thrift store or something, and I still have my copy out in the garage. But i um, like to look at it. No interest in playing it. Uh, the last strategy game that I will put down on here is Pente. Now, Pente was a huge thing for me in fifth and sixth grade. So this would have been the mid 1980s. Um, if you've never played Pente, the goal is to get five of your little glass beads in a row. Now there was Pente boards, uh, you know, like a normal board game, or I had the Pente mat, which came in a rolled up tube. And lots of my friends had these that we would all carry our little Pente tubes to school and then during recess, you would roll out your little mat, and you had these little baggies, um, and each one had uh, two different colors of uh, polished stones that were flat on one side, and there was all different colors. There was red and blue and yellow and white, so when you bought it, you didn't know which two colors you were going to get. But anyway, you would you would put these, um, the, the board is just a giant grid, and you put the pente pieces on uh, where the lines intersect, the little crosses. And uh, so the goal, again, is to get five in a row. And so you could, you know, get them up and down, left and right. It's a lot like Connect Four. Um, you know, I don't guess I mentioned Connect Four. I should throw that in here. Um, but uh, um, so you would put your little uh, uh, pente pieces on there. And we played that. Uh, at recess during school, I mean, Pente was just this huge thing. Um, I actually, one time, this is a terrible story, uh, but um, I had a younger cousin, and I told him that the Pente pieces were candy, and I got him to eat one. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. That's terrible. Um, and uh, anyway, I immediately went and told my parents. I was like. He ain't one of my pente pieces. They they just said, well, it'll come out in the end. <laughs> Literally. I did not ask for it back. Uh, <laughs> that that one piece was was lost for good. I I should mention Connect Four. Um again, Connect Four, I guess, is a strategy game. It's a game that I owned. It's a game that I we owned at school. We always played Connect Four. Everybody had Connect Four. Uh, at some point, when my kids were little, we had a little tiny Connect Four that you could play in the car. Uh, I mean, it was probably, you know, I don't know, three or four inches by three or four inches. Uh, and the goal of Connect Four, where you put uh, checkers in there and they stacked up 
uh, vertically and you're trying to get four in a row. And again, when it comes to those commercials, there was the uh, the famous commercial of the two kids where they're stacking him up, and then he, and then the um, the girl says, "I won," and the boy says, "Where?" and she says, "Here, diagonally." <laughs> and then he goes, "Pretty sneaky, sis," and then flips the little lever at the bottom where all the checkers would fall out. So that was uh, every time we played. You know, when you lost, you'd have to go, "Pretty sneaky, sis." <laughs> It's amazing that I could not remember uh, my bank account number, but I have to, but I have commercials from the late 70s and 80s that I can quote off the top of my head. The next category, uh, which is not too big, I put down was teenage games. These are games that I remember playing as a teenager. And the first one, this is not really a board game. Uh, but I put it down here because it does have a board, and that is the Ouija board. Now, um, my buddy Jeff had a Ouija board and uh, couldn't get it to do anything. He said, boy, he'd spent there a lot of time trying to talk to the spirits, and it just didn't work. So he loaned it to me, and then I eventually loaned it to someone else who loaned it to someone else who... Uh, went on and wrote uh, a lot of things about how they had spoken with spirits and all this. Now, my the Ouija board that we owned did not come uh, from a haunted house or from a old Wiccan ceremony or anything like that. Our the Ouija board that uh, I own that Jeff had originally purchased uh, was uh, made by Parker Brothers, and we bought it at Walmart. Or he bought it at Walmart, and then uh, I don't remember if I traded something to him. Um, but, uh, you know, the, uh, longstanding understanding of Ouija boards, except for in Hollywood movies is that, uh, the way that it works is that a lot of people will put their hands on the planchette, which is the little, um, uh, plastic or traditionally wooden piece that would move around on the board. And eventually someone will get bored enough that they will start to move it. And, um, so I, I don't, uh, uh, I know some people think that it's dabbling in in uh, a dark side of spirituality, things like that, and that they don't uh, want it in their house, which, uh, you know, everybody each to their own. It, it doesn't uh, bother me or whatever. To me, especially once it was made by Parker Brothers, I didn't think that it was, uh, uh, you know, anything that was too dangerous to to play with or whatever. And I was always curious, but like, most people, I purchased one or, or acquired one and uh, was sadly disappointed when no demon showed up to uh, do my bidding. Uh, another board game I had as a teenager, this is another game that Jeff originally had, uh, was a game called Shadow Lord. Now, this is a game that is not very popular. I don't know very many people who have ever played or even heard of it. But Shadow Lord was... One of those type of strategy games where you had to get resources and you started off as uh, each of the four people, up to four people could play, and you drew a card. So I should say that this game came with a whole series of cards with different characters. And it didn't really matter who the characters were on the cards, but there were different numbers. So uh, there were eights, sixes, threes, and zeros. So if your character was an eight, that was the four Four people. So if you were playing, you got an eight, and um, it was either like Fire Master or Fire Lord or Water Lord or Air Lord or whatever. Um, 
The sixes were fighters, and so they could fight. The threes were, oh boy, merchants. I think they were merchants. And then zeros were diplomats. So if there was a zero, um, then people couldn't fight where you were. The fighters uh, could not attack. So uh, basically what you had to do was it was a big giant board, and you would go around and you would mine things on different planets, and then the merchants would buy and sell things to other planets, to your people or to other people. And then the fighters could take over your resources, but not if you had diplomats on your area. So uh, it had all the cards. Every character had these um, really cool sci-fi drawings, like fantasy drawings. And the characters, again, like all the fighters were the same. All the merchants were the same. But the cards had unique drawings on them, and it was really cool. Now, um, we had this store, I don't remember what the name of it was, but uh, if you're old enough, like me, and you remember TGNY, we had a TGNY outlet store. And so what they sold in this store were things that had been returned or discount or whatever. Um, You know, it was an outlet store. And for example... I, when all my friends got Stomper 4x4s, do you remember Stomper 4x4s? They were the little uh, trucks that you put batteries in and uh, you just turn them on. You couldn't steer them. You couldn't do anything. You just turn them on and they would go in a straight line or hopefully a straight line. And you could build little ramps and tracks for them or whatever. Uh, I bought a Stomper 4x4 there and the rear wheels would not turn. I mean, they turned, but they weren't hooked up to the motor, right? Like the gear had broken. So um, I had a Stomper 2x2, two two, uh, or maybe 2x4, I guess. It was just front-wheel drive, so mine was crappy compared to everyone else's. Um, so that's sometimes what you got at the outlet store. And I went there one time, and when my parents owned the computer store, the uh, TGNY outlet store was right in the same parking lot. And so I walked over there, and I saw that they had a copy of Shadow Lord. And I had played it at my friend Jeff's house. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to uh, play. I'm going to get Shadow Lord. And so I bought it and I took it back. And when I went through it, it didn't have all the pieces. It was missing some of the cards. It was missing some of the little plastic pieces that you snap thing together. And I was really bummed out, you know. And I told my mom and she said, well, I'll take you over there tomorrow and we'll exchange it. So the next day we went over back over to this little outlet store. And I remember the girl working the front counter was probably 16 or 17. I remember she was smacking gum. Uh, but I was like 14, no, uh, 12 or 13. And she didn't seem that much older than me, I remember. And I went over and, and we went there and my mom and we explained the situation. And she said, well, there are, are there any other copies? And I go, well, I think there's one more. And I went and got it. And there was another copy of Shadow Lord, and I brought it up to the counter, and she said, well, see if it has all the pieces. And so we opened that one, and it also did not have all the pieces. It had most of the pieces, just like the other one, but it was missing some things. And then she just took that box and folded it over, like on my box, and poured all the pieces. So now I had like one and three quarters copies of Shadow Lord, and she put the lid back on and goes, here you go. So now I was cleaning uh, my garage when we moved last time, and I found my old copy of Shadow Lord, and I still have Shadow Lord, and I've pulled out all the cards, and someday I want to make a poster or something like that with all the Shadow Lord cards. I think that would be so cool. The problem is 
Um, I think if I remember right, I think there are 28 cards. I guess I could do four rows of seven. So the numbers aren't even like the numbers. So it wouldn't be all, you know, each row wouldn't be a number. It doesn't matter. Um, so maybe I'll do that someday, but shadow Lord was a lot of fun. Uh, and then, uh, another friend of mine, Andy had a copy of, uh, not a copy. He had crossbows and catapults, which was a game, uh, again, not a traditional board game, so to speak, cause there was no board, but crossbows and catapults, uh, involves setting up, you set up a fake castle with all these little plastic squares, and then you put flags on different parts of the castle, and then you got these crossbows, which shot these little things that, um, they were like marbles with plastic around them, and you had a little crossbow that had a rubber band, and uh, you blew up each other's castle until you had knocked down all their flags, and it was so much fun. I always wanted a copy of that, and I never had uh, my own version of crossbows and catapults. I only uh, got to play that when I visited Andy at his house, but that was a really fun game. Um, also let's see. So some of these categories are smaller going on from here. There's not too many left. Uh, I put down role-playing games. Um, for me, role-playing games, the biggest thing would be Dungeons and Dragons. And if you want to hear all my Dungeons and Dragons stories, it is the second version or the second episode of you don't know flag it's episode 102 go check that out there's a million dungeons and dragons stories in there but i started playing basic dungeons and dragons and um played you know i got the advanced set the expert rules whatever the other one was companion or something uh but then i quickly moved to ad and and so all those stories are in that episode so if you want to hear all my old D D stories then go check out episode 102 of you don't know flag. The other uh, RPG I used to play was car wars, which is not a traditional role playing game. I guess it's a tabletop game. You would say, uh, but I played it with those same guys at recess that I played risk with. And we would go back and, uh, car wars was in the original version was basically you, you built your car up. You, you bought a car. You had so much money to spend. You would buy a car, uh, you would uh, put armor, you would get weapons, and then you would just race around a oval track on a uh, piece of graph paper with little cut, you know, cutouts that showed where your cars were and uh, shoot at each other until there was only one car left. And this uh, game was famously turned into the uh, game Auto Duel. And Auto Duel, I did a review of that on uh, the Amigos website. If you go to Everything Amiga, Dot com and look up Auto Duel. You can find my review of Auto Duel on the Amiga, um, which was uh, an okay game. It just didn't translate very well. Car Wars, I think, is a much more fun game uh, than Auto Duel actually turned out to be. But there are still a lot of people that enjoyed Auto Duel. But yeah, I played Car Wars with those guys for a while, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, a little subcategory here I put was video game board games. So these are not video games, but these are actual board games that are based on video games. Now, a lot of people had the Pac-Man board game. Uh, we had that at my school. That's something that I definitely played during those recesses as a uh, different color uh, Pac-Man. And you would move around and, and get marbles and things. I don't really remember all the rules to it, but I went to a video game convention one time and there was someone selling multiple uh board games and i think they were ten dollars each 
but I've got a discount for buying multiple ones. And so in one fell swoop, I bought Pac-Man, Centipede, Donkey Kong, Zaxxon, and Qbert. So I had all five of those board games, which I eventually, uh, I don't remember if I sold them or I think I gave them to someone, to be honest with you. Um, it's pretty hard to get adults to sit around a table and play Zaxxon board game. <laughs> Or Qbert, you know. Uh, so they were all interesting, and that was definitely a, um, you know, a moment in time where people would go, you know, if you were a kid on recess in third grade and you wanted to play Centipede, you didn't have a Game Boy. You, I mean, when when you were my age in third grade, we didn't have Game Boys. We didn't have portable things. We didn't have any way to play games during the day or on the bus. Uh, so, you know, at school, if you had this board game of Centipede, um, you know, even if you didn't have the home version of Centipede for your computer or for your Atari 2600 or something, I guess you could play Centipede that way. But um, really, I mean, I guess if you're a, a board game enthusiast, these games might appeal to you. But I'd rather play Qbert on MAME than uh, the board game of Qbert, to be honest with you. Uh, under miscellaneous games, uh, these are board games that I've either owned uh, as an adult I guess, yeah, these are all games that I've uh, owned as an adult. Uh, the first one is the Kreskin ESP game, which I found at a thrift store, um, at, like an antique mall, about five years ago. And I bought it because it was so interesting. It was from, I believe, the 60s, uh, maybe 70s. But it was and had all these little things for testing your ESP knowledge, or not your knowledge, your ESP skills. It had a, you know, the old uh, thing where you tie a ring to a piece of string and you hold it over your hand. And if it moves, you know, in a straight line, that means yes. And a circle means no. And I think it came with the, um, I forgot the name of it, but the cards that have the five different shapes, you know, the squiggly lines, the circles, the squares, the triangle to, uh, use to predict, uh, not to predict, but gosh, to use your ESP powers to tell what the next card is going to be. And, um, and there were some other interesting things in there and I still have it, but it's a much more interesting display piece than it is to, um, uh, <laughs> actually dive in there and, and play with all the different things. I had a, I can't find the name of it, but I had a horror, horror trivia game. I thought it was Friday the 13th, but it, the questions weren't limited to just Friday the 13th, but it seems like maybe it had Jason on the cover or something like that. Um, but it was a horror trivia game, and I think I got it as a Christmas present or birthday present or something. And I got it uh, out a few times when my friends, the Nasty Pirates, would come over and we tried to play it. And the questions were just so unbelievably specific and hard. Like, I had seen all the movies it would talk about, but, you know, it would – first of all, it kept referencing all these characters by name. So it would say things like, you know, in Friday the 13th, whatever, Johnny uh, hits – what happened to his shoes? And you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know? So I felt like I knew a lot about, uh, horror trivia until I played that game. And like, we played that game for two hours and no nobody got anywhere. And we were like, let's just stop playing this. It was, it was just unbelievably difficult. So, uh, that one, uh, got donated somewhere. I did have a copy of, the Star Wars branded Trivial Pursuit, and I played that one time with my family, and nobody would ever play it with me again. Uh, I didn't think the questions were... I mean, the questions were pretty 
some of them were pretty specific, you know. Uh, but even the easy ones, sometimes they wouldn't get them. And so, yeah, they're definitely not, you know, getting the names of the two sons that orbited Tatooine. Uh, <laughs> so that pretty much ruled ruled out anybody ever wanting to play that with me again. We had a, a friend of mine bought, uh, I believe it was Pop-Up Video. Do you remember Pop-Up Video, which was a show on VH1 where they would show music videos and they would pop up and add trivia questions? And he bought a copy of Pop-Up Video, which came with a DVD. Now, there were old board games that had VCR, VHS tapes that you would put in and and uh, do different things with. But uh, this had different DVD tracks, and so... What you would do is pause the DVD and then it would say, uh, you know, you would ask you a video or ask questions. And it was a, there was a lot that didn't use the DVD, but then it would say, oh, it's a video challenge. And you would it would tell you what track to jump to and you would do that and then uh, unpause it and it would play a video and you would have 30 seconds to name the band or whatever. And the uh, the thing about 80s trivia is that the same bands get mentioned over and over again. So even when somebody goes, I bet you don't. And then you go, Kajagoogoo, <laughs> because it's the same bands that always get mentioned. It's the same bands that always get played on eighties radio. And there's so much to the eighties. Um, you know, not to, to go back and, and plug, uh, uh, the grown up eighties guys, but, um, uh, Robin and, and, uh, and Darren, you know, they have like this, this, you know, deeper knowledge of, of eighties bands. And, uh, there's, there's other podcasts out there too, that, that don't just stick to the, um, uh, you know, there's, um, the eighties by eighties podcast, which has unfortunately been dormant for a long time now, but they are going through the top 80 songs of the eighties. And there were a lot of them that I was not familiar with the songs. And, you know, several times I wasn't familiar with the band. So there's a lot of eighties music, not just the stuff that everybody hears. Uh, and where I'm going with this story is that, we had gone through and we were trying to get the the final uh, question to win the game and it played a video and it was of this song and neither of us and and like it was this is two guys that prided ourselves on 80s music trivia and neither of us had heard the song or the band i mean it was completely foreign to us and at the end it said the band was Martha and the Muffins and we laughed so hard at that uh, for years when I would hear a band and I didn't know who it was, I would say, Oh, that's uh, Martha and the muffins. I mean, it just stuck to us and, and I've looked it up and I think they were a bigger Canadian band. I don't think they were as big here in the States. Um, but uh, you know, they had several albums. It wasn't just like a completely, uh, you know, one hit wonder or no hit wonder. I, apparently they, they had a, a career, but there were nothing. We had never heard of Martha and the muffins before. And we thought that was so funny. Um, in college for a while, the big thing was, uh, Jenga that became popular and uh, a lot of people had copies of uh, Jenga and, uh, maybe, oh gosh, I was going to say 10 years ago, but it's, it's been longer. I got the, uh, Donkey Kong edition of Jenga and, uh, we used to play that. Uh, my wife and I played that a few times. I've been to bars. I know that the one up in Denver was one of the first places where I saw, uh, Jenga games that were made like life-size Jenga games, you know, for outdoor things like that. I've seen that a few times since then. And that I, I've never done that, but it, it looks to be fun where you have these big giant, you know, blocks of wood, like made out of two by fours or something. And people stack those up that, that it looks like fun. But again, I've, I've never done that. 
Um, then I would say, uh, the other thing under miscellaneous was all these drawing type games. I put Pictionary and Win, Loser, Draw. Uh, there are other ones that I've, I've played. Um, I would say that in any game like that, even in, uh, uh, whatever it is, $100,000 Pyramid or any of those games, I'm the best hint giver. You always want me to give the hints because I will get you to say the word. I will draw something that will get you to say the word. Um, and my wife and I have learned over the years that our brains are so different that we do not make good partners. If we go to someone's house and this doesn't happen anymore, but we would go, we went to a friend's house one time and, um, we're playing, um, uh, Pictionary and <laughs> this is going to be a, 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 it's not a, it's not going to be R rated, but. Long story short, uh, the we, the card came up for you to draw, and it was a book, and it was Moby Dick. Now, if I were giving the clue, I would draw a book, and then I would draw a whale, uh, and you would get that that was the book. That is not what got drawn. I won't tell you what got drawn. You can use your imagination. But, I mean, I'm the best hint giver when it's um, – $100,000 pyramid, any of those games that we play. Um, so um, I, I get really frustrated. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't play those those type of games too much anymore. Those were always also hard. I know there were computer versions of some of those games, and it was, you know, you're trying to draw something with a joystick or something. It was really, um, it was really tough to, to get people to guess what you were drawing. Um, under modern games. The only one I put was Catan. Now I'm not an expert, but a friend of mine had a copy of Catan and we went to his house and uh, Jeff went and I went and, and this friend uh, Scott and it was at his house and we played it and they were both super familiar with the game and I had never played it. And I hate playing a board game where someone says, Oh, we know how to play it and you'll figure it out as you go along which means by the time you figure it out, you're at such a disadvantage that you're going to lose terribly. But we did play two or three rounds of Catan, and I really did enjoy that. Um, I feel like it was out for a long time, and then I only found out about it like, you know, three years ago or something like that. And we had a good time, but uh, I, I would like to, you know, I came home and Googled like 900 YouTube videos on Catan strategies and <laughs> things like that. So I feel like uh, I'd be more prepared if we played again, but th that was a really fun game. Uh, I know there's a lot of modern, there's a ton, ton of modern board games, but um, it just doesn't seem to be the time uh, to play them. You know, it, it's so much easier these days to, to play something uh, on the computer. It's harder to get people together. Of course, for the past year and a half, it's been real hard to get people together in person. So, um, you know, all my uh, gaming has been done virtually uh, online. Um, so when I was a kid, I told you I had that board game closet and we ended up having a board game closet as well uh, in our last house. And when we moved, uh, my wife and I said, hey, if there's games, you know, that the kids have outgrown or that we haven't played, then we should donate them. And so we donated, I believe, all but just a few of our board games to uh, the uh, uh, daycare that my kids had gone to. And so we took those all up to there. I, I can't get rid of my Legos. I still have a lot of Legos. but uh, And I just mentioned that because they stay in the same closet where the board games were. 
Um, but uh, most of the board games got dedicated or got uh, uh, donated to uh, uh, the daycare. And so hopefully the, that uh, if those kids get stuck inside on a rainy day and uh, like I did, and I have all those great memories of playing Connect Four and, and Mousetrap and uh, checkers and all those kinds of things. Hopefully, they will uh, be able to do uh, be able to do the same thing. So uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, that's a, a lot on board game history, and I would love to hear uh, what g- board games uh, that you used to play as a kid, or if you have uh, you know any games that you play today as board games. So uh, if you have feedback about this or any episode of uh, You Don't Know Flat. You can always email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me over on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave me a message on my podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. All patrons of my shows get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. So to find out more about that, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. And speaking of Patreons, I need to give a shout out to all my supporters. I've moved this to the back because the list is getting so long, but just because I moved it back doesn't mean uh, that I am any less appreciative of the people that are supporting my show. And that list includes Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Carrie Clanton, Chris Folds, Christopher Warren, Calbert Boyd, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Darren Folds, Dan Creek, Dave Zilly, David Chambers, David Hearn, David Modelak, Eric Stryanisi, Gabriel DeGenero, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Graham Vebke, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warrens, The Boar's Head Tavern BBS, John Morrison, John Bodakar Schaller, John Treholt, Jose Quezada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Matt Nicholson, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Mr. Wacky, Olaf Hope, Patrick Markey, Rydar, and Christopher Bowe, Rick Reynolds, Roy Jacobs, Scott Lambert, Scott Vondrasak, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, Steve Sharippa, The Slow Norris, Vintage Volts, Zeke Pabsky, and Zerfall, and I can't forget the mysterious Cobra Kai. So uh, thanks again for everybody supporting the show. I greatly appreciate uh, all your support. You Don't Know Flat is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the RSS feed located at podcast.roboera.com. To hear more podcasts from me like Sprite Castle, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness, visit podcast.roboera.com for links to these shows. Congratulations if you made it this far now know a little bit more about flat i'll see you next time i give you trouble you can pop a lot of trouble on the pop-o-matic bubble trouble trouble i'll give you trouble pop your piece around the track if you get hit you get to back Trouble, trouble, trouble. I win! The game of trouble. Trouble, a problematic game from Milton Bradley.
The name of the game is Connect Four. Gotcha. Four cross. Hmm. One more game. Object, connect four of your checkers in a row while preventing your opponent from doing the same. But look out. Your opponent can sneak up on you and win the game. I won. Where? I can't... Here, diagonally. Pretty sneaky, sis. Connect Four, the vertical checkers game from Milton Bradley. This is Mousetrap, a game in which building the trap is half the fun. You roll the dice, move your mice, build the trap. But could this thing really catch a mouse? Let's watch. Mousetrap! The Mousetrap game. It's from Ideal. 